Hello, welcome back to Common Sense Halakha with Rav Alicia. Rav, how are you? How was your Pesach? Did you eat kidneyot? Did I eat kidneyot? You have to ask my wife. She doesn't let me in the kitchen. I'll take that as a no. But that does remind me. I want to address a major point of feedback we've been getting since our first episode. That is, what are we supposed to do with this information when it comes to halakha lamaase, the practical execution of these halakha in the modern era? Good question, Uri. The point of these podcasts is to teach how to fish. I may have an opinion about the best way to act or least bad way to act in a given situation, but my opinion is merely informed by earlier wisdom. Thus, the best thing we can do in our podcast is to show people how to read earlier sources in a way that reveals the source's insights in addition to the listener's own insights. Then we can all converse with each other about how to wisely balance those insights without rejecting any and see what conclusions we reach. As regards kidneyot, I have no strong feelings about doing things one way or another, as long as they're done for good reasons. The why, not the all-prescribing how. Yes, but a good why inherently creates its own demand and call for fulfillment in some form. It may be complicated to navigate conflicting insights and demands. That's what life in Psaac is. But a why inherently demands. And in that vein of connecting why and how, I want to talk about a relevant halacha for Tishabav, wearing leather shoes. Right. One of the big five no-nos of Yom Kippur and Tishabav, not wearing leather shoes because they're comfortable or fancy or something. Also known as the reason, the only reason I have non-sneaker canvas shoes. Why don't you wear them the rest of the time? I don't know. They're butt ugly. They're uncomfortable. They don't go with any of my pants. They're cheap and would probably only withstand a few months of daily wear. I don't like them, basically. Good. Now tell me why you should wear shoes that you don't like on Yom Kippur or Tisha B'Av. Because God wants me to suffer more for some reason? And now to put that a little bit less snarkily and in Torah words... And you shall afflict your souls. Oh, good. Actually, nefesh means breath, but that's not important right now. Let's move on and look at the way Chazal detail affliction. Mishnah Yoma, Perichet, Mishnah Aleph, Chapter 8, the first Mishnah. Yom Kippurim Asur. On Yom Kippurim, the following are forbidden. Uva uvashtia, eating and drinking. Uva bathing. Uvasicha, anointing oneself with oils. Uvanilata sandal, and wearing a sandal. Uve tashmish hamita, and engaging in adult activities, like paying bills and taxes. Exactly. Okay, hold on. It's sandals that are usher? Why do people say leather shoes? What about all those people that wear their sneakers, training shoes, go-fasters, whatever you want to call them, on Yom Kippur, because they aren't leather shoes? Perforce? Davka, in English. I wanted to make sure we were more accessible. Oh, how helpful. I thought so. But back to my question. The Mishnah forbids ancient leather sandals. But why is not wearing them some sort of suffering? Wow. You've never been outside barefoot before? Not since Julian Seaton stepped on a bee when I was seven years old. Okay, that's not entirely true. I don't step on grass barefoot because bees hide in grass. I do walk on pavement barefoot, much to my mother's chagrin. I mean, I would never do anything my mother doesn't want me to do. Okay. And when you say pavement, do you mean asphalt, cobblestone, gravel, cement, concrete? Mostly asphalt and cement, which are fairly new and fairly smooth. Or walking around not in the 21st century, imagining that sort of cobblestone Roman road, or even gravel or something like that, I wouldn't want to walk around barefoot, even if I had the crazy calluses they probably had back then. So? 
So when you're wearing a leather sandal, it absorbs the feeling of the smaller stones, it's fashionable, it's a nice shoe, which you shouldn't be wearing on Yom Kippur. Okay, all right. I get why Chazal forbade wearing sandals, shoes, you know, you should suffer a bit more on Yom Kippur. So how do we get to the point where we're practically encouraging wearing comfortable sneakers, running shoes, and the like, to Yom Kippur davening? How do we get to the point where people just think, yeah, non-leather is acceptable? That's a good question. And in truth, non-leather is not the defining factor. So let's look at the sources and see how Moraim, through the medieval Rishonim of different climates, applied the Mishnah's demand for podalic affliction. Podalic meaning foot-related? Yeah, I also wanted to make sure we were more accessible. Pavli Yuvamot, Kofbet, Amudbet. Pavli Yuvamot, page 102b. Banpelia, Chalitzata, Sula, Kule. And in an Anpelia? Jastro says felt slippers. And with felt slippers, her chalitza is invalid. Uh, what is going on here? Okay, really quickly. If a man gets married and dies before he can have a child, his brother has an obligation to marry his widow and produce a child to be the heir of the dead brother's estate. The marrying brother is called a yavam, the widow a yevama, and the marriage yibum. This marriage arrangement also serves to provide for the yevama. However, if the yavam brother decides that he does not want to marry her, they perform an act called chalitza, which involves her spinning in his shoe. This is an insult to the yavam, who will walk around town with a constant reminder of his failure to fulfill his obligation. An apelia, or slipper, as we might call them today, is a foot covering you wouldn't wear around town, and thus Chazal invalidate an Ampelia for Chalitza. And that's the sogia that gets us to start talking about Ampelia on Yom Kippur. Yes. Okay, on to our sogia. The Memra de Ampelia love minahu. That is to say that in Ampelia, a slipper is not a shoe, which is just Gemara language for what you just said. E- yes. Utanan nami, enatorem nichnas lo bepargud chafut velo bampelia. And we learn similarly, the donor does not enter wearing a pargod chafut and not wearing anpelia. Okay, this is a Mishnah in Shkalim about someone who goes into the Beit HaMikdash's repository of donations to count up the money, and the Mishnah places restrictions on how to dress. One's not allowed to wear a pargod chafut, something like parachute pants that has a cuff at the bottom facing inward, and an anpelia. Like we said, a slipper. Hold on. Why would you be wearing slippers to the Beit HaMikdash? Good. Why wouldn't you wear slippers to the Beit HaMikdash? My slippers aren't really built to go outdoors. They'd probably get ruined and it would just sort of be a waste. I wouldn't want to go in slippers. Okay, good. So then who would wear a slipper to the Beit HaMikdash? Some fat cat who can buy new ones? Exactly. And if we were to put this in Xera language, which is not the topic of this episode, those of us who are wary of public servants dressing too fancily would say eh, they could even hide money in those pants. Okay. Continuing in the Gemara. And we don't even need to add that he's not allowed to wear a shoe or a sandal. Because you can't enter the main Mikdash courtyard with shoes or sandals. Right. Obviously in the Mikdash, one was not allowed to go around wearing shoes and sandals that gathered dirt from one's going about in the streets. 
which is why we brought this Mishnah to bring support for the idea that the Ampelia is not a shoe. Shoes are forbidden in the Beit HaMikdash for being dirty. Ampelia is a fancy garment worn when one shouldn't get dirty, like, at home. Right. Okay. In the Gemara, Urminhu, Asher min alba sandal Ampelia. Lo yitel behen, lo mi bayit levayit, velo mi mita but there's a contradiction from a Brita, that one is not allowed to wear a shoe, sandal, or even a slipper from house to house, or even within the house, from bed to bed, on Yom Kippur. Which means that sometimes people wear their slippers in their courtyards, outside the house. Meaning a slipper is forbidden on Yom Kippur because it is potentially an outside shoe. Right. Amar Abaye, eat Abai answers no. Wearing a slipper does not provide the same aesthetic or physical benefits as a real shoe. Rather, the Brita forbids wearing a slipper because it is discussing a slipper with padding, which is a joy to wear, and Yom Kippur is a day of not joy, affliction. Rava said back to him, Who said you couldn't have minimal pedalic pleasure on Yom Kippur? As long as you're not wearing a fully protective and aesthetic shoe, as long as you're still suffering some level of affliction. After all, Rabba Baravuna, on Yom Kippur, would wrap a cloth around his foot before going out to shul. Rather, Rava said, there's no contradiction. The Brita that forbade wearing an Ampelia slipper was talking about a leather slipper. The mission in Shikalim that distinguishes between an Ampelia and a shoe is talking about a cloth slipper. Right. Okay, I'm on board. Anything which is too protective can't be worn on Yom Kippur because you're supposed to suffer at least a little bit more than normal. But something that just protects the skin, maybe if you have a cut or the ground is chilly or the ground is hot, but you're still feeling the harshness of walking around on the ground, that you can wear on Yom Kippur. Good. Inu, affliction is required, and thus shoes are forbidden, but excessive affliction of the feet is not required. And thus, cloth slippers can be acceptable for those who need them. In fact, that's what Rambam says. Rambam, Rambam's Mishnah Torah, the rules of resting on the 10th of Tishrei, 3rd chapter, 7th halacha. And it is permitted to go out on Yom Kippur in a sandal made of bamboo or reeds. And one is permitted on Yom Kippur to wrap one's foot in a cloth and head out wearing that. Because the hardness of the ground reaches one's feet and it's as if one is barefoot. Right. Okay, so Rambam is just mimicking the Gemara here and saying it better. Avoid shoes. You don't have to go completely barefoot, but suffer. Have some inui. What I'm still lost on is how do we end up with people wearing comfortable sneakers in Yom Kippur because they're made of some poly whatever? Oh, that. We'll explain it charitably as reflecting an insight, but for the most part, it's based on a mistaken understanding of medieval European sources. Let's look at one of those typical sources. Rav Yom Tov Ibn Aderet, a frequently consulted commentator on the Talmud Bavli, a.k.a. the Ritva, who's from the 13th century Spain. Before we begin, however, note the following. It is forbidden on Shabbat to wear shoes that are used only for work, not worn at any other time, like wooden shoes which protect you from the elements, but are not comfortable to walk in. Without entering into the particulars of local footwear specific to Farish Shonim's geography and culture, that's the rule of thumb. Now notice, in addition, that Ritva weaves together the requirement to be properly shod in public on Shabbat 
and the injunction against wearing shoes on Yom Kippur into one rule. We're not going to quote the entire passage, but notice that these two points are interwoven. Ritva's commentary on Yavamot that we read earlier. Once it is made out of cloth, it is not at all a shoe or sandal, and the Yisru of Yom Kippur does not apply. Skipping ahead of it. And there's no reason to differentiate between an ampelia and something made of bamboo or reeds, because none of these are made of leather. Jumping once more. And everyone says you're fine wearing socks on Yom Kippur, and even to go out in public wearing them. And the problem of insufficient inui does not present itself. For we follow the sages who say that which is not of leather or covered in leather is not a shoe. One last skip. Really? And thus said my teacher in the name of his teachers, meaning the school of the Ramban, those shoikush things in Castile that are made of wood. Okay, and in Spanish, juecos, and they're a type of wooden clog that had three protruding stilts, one under the heel, and two bowed ones under the ball of the foot, so that one could work and stay above the mud, and also anchor oneself in the ground. You mean something like a Japanese geta? Not a comfortable walking around shoe, I would imagine. Exactly. What does Ritva say next? It is forbidden to go out into the public thoroughfare wearing these juecos on Shabbat, since they are not covered in leather. Okay, so now, tell me, what is the connection between forbidding wearing these juecos on Shabbat and permitting wearing juecos in Yom Kippur in the filthy streets of European city in which nobody chose to walk barefoot? Shabbat is supposed to be an elevated day, and despite the stilts, these juecos are not nice shoes. <laughs> They're shoes for working in a, in a wet field. Wait, wait, why are you assuming wet? Because the rain in Spain falls mainly on the plane. Uh-huh. Listen, I'm trying to imagine walking in these stilted shoes on a road, and it's probably clunky and uncomfortable, and they look stupid, which is exactly the, you know, what you're looking for in Yom Kippur, which means that the issue is not material, but comfort, both pedalic and aesthetic, I would imagine. Good. In fact, we're Columbusing here with that insight. It was clear to the Rishonim themselves across the board that leather does not define whether a given piece of footwear is permitted or forbidden. Leather shoes are merely the classic example of a good shoe. Thus, the 13th century Orzerua, of Yusek Moshe of Vienna, already said that one may wear even leather shoes in Yom Kippur, as long as they're torn. If the shoe was torn, it appears that it should be permitted on Yom Kippur. Good. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. I've been wearing torn boots for the past few months, only because I live in the middle of nowhere and haven't gone to buy new ones yet. <laughs> and, and I can confirm that torn leather boots are really not that comfortable. Uh, they don't sit tightly, and the leather moves around, and they cause blisters. Mom, I promise, I'm okay. I, I bought new ones recently. And torn shoes, they don't look respectable. Good. 
And guess what? We're not even the Vikings here in our American discovery metaphor. The Grut already argued that the basis for allowing the wearing of reed and bamboo flip-flops is that they are no better than torn leather shoes. That was the Grut, Rabbi Eliyahu ben Shlomo Zalman, also known as the Vilna Gaon, living in 18th century Lithuania, commenting on the Shulchan Aruch citation of the Rambam that we saw already. Right. Yurgra, Orachayim, Siman, Taf, Reish, Yodalat, Ifbet. And it is permitted to go out then, etc. The Churatadeshen, Rabbi Yisrael Isserlein of the 14th century Austria, says that Rambam's ruling, allowing wearing reed and bamboo shoes in Yom Kippur, is justified based on the Orzarua's ruling that one can go out wearing a torn leather shoe on Yom Kippur. So, according to the Gra, is leather the defining factor? Or is discomfort the factor? It's obvious. I mean, leather can sometimes be allowed, meaning discomfort, physical or aesthetic, is the main factor here. All that being said, I can understand how someone who is more formally minded, ending up focusing on leather shoes and even leather belts, being the main problem. But how do we end up with observant Jews wearing sneakers, intentionally comfortable shoes, or fancy basketball shoes to Shulim Yom Kippur? <sighs> well, there are two ways to answer that question. We could be charitable. Wearing a suit with sneakers is a ridiculous look in the modern Orthodox bourgeois world. Therefore, it can be viewed as some degree of inuit. Well, what about Shabbat, when running shoes will probably match Davener's clothing? What about Yom Kippur in circles in which fancy running shoes and suits is beginning to catch on as a look? You're right. Look, in truth, the way that observant Jews justify this practice is by misreading the sources that we just read. But let me ask you a question. When it comes to Inui, affliction, on Yom Kippur, is the requirement to avoid comfortable shoes as critical as avoiding food, as fasting? No. Being hungry is much more annoying and afflicting, for most of us at least, than not being fashionable or, or having comfortable shoes especially when you're sitting most of the day. And now in classic rabbinic language? Fasting is doraita, shoes is dirabana. Good. And what is the rule about rebuking people if the communal consensus ends up wrongfully permitting any sort of rabbanan, a relatively minor concern, meaning serious, but relatively minor? Mutav Better to let people err in ignorance than to be annoying and bother them about it. Actually, there is more to say about that rule, but for now, yes, you're right. Thus, halavai, that we will fulfill the spirit of Tishabav by focusing on avoiding baseless hate, sinat chinam. That's the main point. And halavai, that on Yom Kippur, the day of self-reflection and repentance, we all the more so avoid ideological self-justification over minor matters. Thanks, Revelation, for the Torah and the bracha. I hope you all at home have a meaningful fast this Tisha B'Av. Thank you for listening. Thank you, Uri.